He covers BYU, well, and Utah, but he covers BYU football for the uh, Deseret News. He's our friend Jay Drew. What's going on, Jay? Hey, guys. Good afternoon. It's going well. Hey, you uh, you stoked football's back? Yeah, for sure. It's a lot different than last year when BYU opened camp and didn't know if they had an opponent to play until mid-October. Um, so a lot different this year, but, uh, yeah, great to be back. So, Jay, we, we played the sound of Kalani's interview, and we heard your question about the coaches and how many of them were vaccinated and all that sort of thing. It seems like Kalani at times, I love the dude, but he at times is playing dodgeball. I mean, there were a bunch of questions that were asked that he didn't want to answer. What? How do you handle that? Yeah, that's always difficult. Uh, you know, you want to stay on their good side, so they'll keep answering questions. So, But there's a fine line to you kind of walk where, you know, you uh, you try to be professional, and but you also uh, have to pry. And uh, it's, it, it's difficult. Um, but uh, you're right, Gordon. Uh, Kalani's often kind of reverts into that mode of, of – uh, not directly answering questions or deferring them to other people, um, which are impossible to, to, you know, reach at that particular moment. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's a it's one of the more difficult parts of the job. Uh, he he's uh, pretty savvy when it comes to media. If, if he doesn't want to give out information, he doesn't give it out. That's why, for sure. why do you think he would be hesitant about giving out uh, percentages of, of his players who are vaccinated? That. That's a little curious to me. I think it's all all part of BYU being a private institution and, and kind of, I don't know if the word is hiding behind uh, that as far as where they lack transparency, um, kind of using that as uh, falling upon that as an excuse. Or I, I that's probably it. I'm, I'm probably, he's probably been told by his superiors that, that that's not a number that BYU wants to, to get out my hunch and, and you know it's just a hunch is that is that they're not uh there are you know the percentages probably aren't good or aren't where they want them to be for whatever reason and uh in fact i've had a few kind of sources have kind of told me that um so you know it's probably a combination of those two things where they're not really happy with with the numbers um because i know for certain that kalani is encouraging that he wants to see players vaccinated and his coaching staff vaccinated. So so I think it's a combination of, of those kind of two things. So, you know, coaches don't say a whole lot, particularly at the, the beginning of camp or media days or whatever. I think we're all kind of used to that. But, you know, a, a lot of times, Jay, there's a vibe around the coaching staff when they think that they're going to be pretty good. And I'm sure you hear little whispers from from places when they, you know, the coaching staff is is confident with with where the team's at. So with it, with with that in mind, uh, take us back to your hippie years, Jay. Read the vibe. What are, what are the vibes telling you? You know, the vibes telling me that uh, Kalani leans a lot towards Lavelle Edwards' style, where uh, you know, unlike Bronco, he kind of downplayed everything. He's, you know, if this and this happens, if we stay healthy, we have a chance to be a good team. He's, he's usually a guy that falls on that spectrum of uh, under-promising and over-delivering. Reminds me kind of what Rick Majeros used to do, of all people. But uh, um, so the vibe I got is that 
Kalani's kind of quietly confident, I think. he's uh, He acknowledges that they have a lot of proving still to do after last year and the schedule. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't to, obviously one of the harder schedules. And then uh, Aaron Roderick is a little more, I, I don't know, direct and uh, a little more uh, prone to, to basically letting his kind of feelings show, I guess. And the vibe I get from Aaron is that, at least on the offensive side, that they're going to be really good, that, that they've got all the pieces in place to maybe not match what they did last year, obviously, with a, with a phenomenal quarterback. But, but I think he's happy with the personnel he has, especially after getting the receiving core build up with the transfers from Washington and Utah. So I, I, think, uh, I think the vibe is mostly good. Um, I think if there's any concerns, it's probably on defense. We didn't really talk to any defensive coaches today, at least in the press conference. So maybe kind of we'll probably have to wait for Monday on that. But uh, but overall, I I think the vibe is I would describe it as kind of a quiet confidence. How do you think they feel about their quarterback situation? Obviously, everybody always asks who the starter is going to be, Jay. And and I'm not so sure. I you know I don't care so much about. Asking, finding that out. What I'm curious about is, are they confident that one of those guys is going to shine? Yeah, I think I think uh, Aaron Roderick has said, you know, first at media day, he said uh, if Jaron Hall stays healthy, he's going to be hard to beat out. Um, and then uh, he's also said that we can win football games with any of these three guys, Conover, Jaron Hall, or Baylor Romney. And he points to the, you know, two years ago when, when Hall and Romney led him to wins. And then Conover's, every time he talks about Conover, it's just like this guy has a really, really high ceiling. This guy can, can has the potential and the tools to be really good. So, um, so yeah, I think they're really comfortable with all three, to be honest with you. Um, I, I don't think they'll, they'll want to roll out a true freshman, Jacob Conover, in week one. So I'm I'm uh, leaning towards the other two as more of a of a two man battle right now with probably Jaron Hall a little bit in the lead, you know if you can kind of read the tea leaves. So, um, but but yeah, to answer your question, they I think they love all three, and I think they think all three of them could be really good quarterbacks there. You think Conover has the the most talent of all? I, you know, I just judging by his recruitment and that, I mean, it was a while ago, you know, before a mission, but, but from everything I've heard from just, you know, coaches talking, maybe even teammates, um, as far as uh, kind of being in the BYU system and what they're looking for, I, I think he's he's probably the most talented guy because he's he's probably got the he's probably got the most talented arm. He's um, he's obviously not as as mobile as is what Jaron Hall has shown to be in past games. And he might not have the kind of the pocket presence or the poise that Baylor Romney had, but, but uh, I mean, this kid coming out of high school had offers from everybody. Um, you're talking Alabama, USC, you know, all the big ones. So, uh, so there must be something there that those coaches saw as well. Jay, you mentioned earlier that the the questions are probably more on defense. I, I guess I, I would ask you, what's question number one? What are you going to lead with when you get to talk to those defensive coaches? You know, I, I think the biggest thing is the defensive line. They just they're kind of starting over in a way. They lost you know three key guys, uh, seniors that are trying to make it in the NFL, and then they lost a 
a guy to the transfer portal, Savaliaki. And so, uh, you know, the guys that got, they got some good guys that have been in the system for a while, but don't have a lot of playing experience. So I would say that was, that'd be number one. And then number two is just the safety position. Um, they lost, you know, Troy Warner and Zane Anderson to graduation and, and uh, Chaz Ayu has had a lot of injury issues. He'll probably be one of the starters there. And then who will be the second starter at safety, the free safety starter is really up in the air. And whoever it is will have very, very little experience. So so that would be another big question I would have for him. Those linebackers are pretty good, aren't they? Yeah, they do. They got really, really good linebackers, guys who have shown for a couple of years, you know, Keenan Peely and Peyton Wilgar and, and uh, Max Tooley are probably the three there. You got Josh Wilson kind of backing up now as, as uh, you know, Zach's brother. And he's he's really heady, smart player, might be a little bit undersized. But, but yeah, I think, uh, I think easily linebacker would be the strength of the defense right now. Jay, I want to ask you about conference realignment, which is back. Um, how does, you know, how is BYU positioning itself, I guess, uh, with uh, with what's going on with Texas and Oklahoma and the fallout from that? Yeah, you know, kind of people I've talked to just kind of, you know, maybe peripheral outside, you know, inside sources or however you want to. Uh, they just say, hey, they're monitoring the situation. They know, obviously, they're they're trying to, you know, cross all their, dot all their I's, cross all their T's, to do all their due diligence and say if this happens, what would be best for BYU? If this another thing happens, what would be best? But I think the, the, the biggest fear is that if everything goes to these super conferences, 16 teams like the SEC is doing, that, you know, BYU will, will basically be forced into joining a conference and would, would really, really – be hurting if they were not part of that uh whatever you want to call it 64 team kind of uh grouping top tier grouping of of four 16 team conferences so that's the feeling i get i don't really have any true inside knowledge of any phone calls made or any overtures made on that uh but uh, obviously byu officials are keeping a really really close eye on it what's the value of byu football I mean, do you think that they have what is necessary to attract that kind of opportunity, uh, despite what's happened in the past? Yeah, I do. I, I think they belong among both. If you are divided into, you know, 64, I think you look at their national fan base, and right now it's everything's moving towards, you know, streaming and cord cutting, and, and they got the fans that are going to, are going to pay the money to watch them play, which I think is going to come and it's going to come down to. We saw, I think it was Notre Dame announced their first game is going to be kind of a pay-per-view. So uh, available only on streaming. So I think BYU can, can point to that. They can point to their tradition. They can point to their ESPN contract, their fan, you know, around 60,000 per game, their stadium, their facilities. So I think BYU has a lot to offer uh, in terms of, uh, in the bottom line, it's money. Obviously, it's it's how many you know people are, or how much money or value can they add to a to a conference, and and I think they can as well as most other you know programs that are in that 64. Jay Drew, <clears throat> excuse me, is with us. He uh, he covers BYU for the Deseret News. <clears throat> uh, 
Jay, what do you think the next step is? Just as a guy who's been around and covered college football for so long, what happens next? Do you think the those Big 12 schools scatter? you think uh, the Big 10 comes after uh, Pac-12 teams? I don't know. What do you think is next? Yeah, I think it's all on the kind of going to come down to the AAC or the Big 12, kind of which I, I just don't see the Big 10 or the Pac-12 wanting to be put in a position where they have to kind of keep up with what the FCC is SEC is doing. So my personal feeling is I think it's the whole crux is going to be upon the what happens to the existing members of the Big 12. Are they going to stick together? Are they going to kind of make a pact that, hey, we're sticking together, we're going to maybe add a few teams? I think that would be the best-case scenario for BYU because I think uh, – you know, they're a better cultural fit for those Big 12 schools than they would be for for the Pac-12 and even the, you know, even probably a Big 10, which is probably a pipe dream. But but just academically and where they are as far as a research institution. And then uh, I just think their best case is that the Big 12 teams decide, hey, we need to get more than eight. And we need to stick together and we need to get the three or four teams that are add the most value and you know and then you would probably be looking at BYU Houston Cincinnati Central Florida and then you know maybe go from there maybe a Boise State maybe a Memphis I don't know but but uh, those are definitely the candidates if I were the big 12 existing schools that I'd be looking at to to stay intact Jay if if the Pac-12 feels like BYU is a bad cultural fit why do they keep scheduling them Yeah, that's a that's a good question. For some reason, there's this you know AAU group. I can't even think of it. It's the most prestigious colleges, especially the ones that do research. And uh, and for some reason, these even the Big Ten does it. They say we want to be you know allied with with only t- only these AAU institutions. I know the Pac-12 commissioner at Media Day the other day said that that's not necessarily a Pac-12 criteria for joining, but but uh, but I think you know some obviously some people will point to uh, maybe a touch of religious bigotry. I don't know. I, I I'm sure you guys have had Rondell Felberg on on your air. I've, I talked to him just the other day for a story, and and he mentions that all the time. I you know I don't know if that's a, maybe a persecution complex or something, but. But you got to wonder, uh, you know, why why the individual schools will schedule BYU, but collectively they don't want uh, BYU in the league. And you can obviously the other thing is the Sunday play thing. That's not going away, and uh, you know that's kind of an easy out, I guess. You could you could say, and I think it's an understandable out, really, if you want to just say, hey, they just you know it puts too much of a crimp in our style with, to add a program that won't play on Sundays. So. There's a lot of reasons, Gordon. I, I mean, you call them nice about it a lot over the years, and I just I don't know. I mean, it's just uh, one of those things that it's obviously going to be out there probably for a long time. Jay, how much pressure, if any, do you think is on this iteration of Cougars uh, based on what they were able to accomplish last year? Do they have to substantiate what was done? Do they feel like that's something they need to do? Or is it, hey, baby, this is a whole new thing and we're not even thinking about what happened a year ago? I think they're going to talk about the latter. And like you said, I think that's Kalani, what Kalani is going to bring. But I can guarantee you they are feeling the pressure. They know 
there's a lot on the line. There's a lot of validation to be done. There's a lot of, uh, you know, in golf, uh, Gordon, some guys play a game where you make a birdie, but you don't get a cash in on it unless you make a par on the next hole. Uh, they call it validation, and my buddies sometimes will play it. And I think it's, I think it's totally for BYU, especially from a national perspective and how they are perceived nationally. Um, if they lay an egg and go out and go, you know, five and seven and against this really much more difficult schedule without Zach Wilson, you know, I think a lot of people are just going to say last year was a fluke. It was just a product of the schedule. And uh, and they might be right, you know. So, yeah, I, I think there's huge pressure, and I think the Cougars, especially their coaching staff, uh, I think they all know it. Jay, thanks for dropping by. We appreciate you. Okay, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jay. See you, buddy. You bet.